Welcome to Fly Cool Shit, the show where Jeff Petro and Mark Pollard talk about aerobatics, unique airplanes, aviation news, and so much more. Hey, pilot, you're cleared to enter the box. Smoke on. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Fly Cool Shit, powered by Lyft Aviation. I'm Mark. And I'm Jeff. And Christmas, come early, or Hanukkah, eight, the first, I don't know how that works. Your favorite the holiday. holidays. The holidays are upon us. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> oh, we God. have one of the best, if not the best to ever do it, Mr. Michael Goulian, the Don, with us what once again. What is up, boys? What's up, man? What's up? How's it going? The, the best good. to ever do it. The best to ever do it in Plymouth, Massachusetts. Maybe that's about that. <laughs> hockey, that is. <laughs> yeah, hockey. Definitely not <laughs> golf and definitely not flying. Oh, God. I just got I back wish- from a trip. I was in uh, St. Aug thinking about y'all at the, uh, they do like a light. Uh, we were talking about this a little bit, but they do a whole night show and everything like that. And just so eerie not going to Southeast Arrow and, and stuff like that. Like I could have went. I was going to say, you know, that's got to be weird. Family first, and they had, Mike, right? Like the food in St. Augustine is so underrated. Ah, uh, the place. St. Augustine spent underrated. so many. Yeah, well, I think though it seems like people have found St. Augustine. Right, there's so much traffic now down yeah, there, but like the Christmas time is that is just amazing. All the white lights on the trees and yeah. middle of the town square and all the boats, and it's just an awesome place. I, like I love it. It's sick. It's fucking sick. Mark went there one time. He went to the uh, Casa Monica, and my yeah. son Mason, who's seven, is turning into a real boy and a wise guy. And he says, "Daddy, this is a true story." We were standing out there taking like family pictures in front of the hotel. He's like, "You know, if you take the sea away, it's Asa Monica, like Asa Monica." <laughs> I get it, buddy. <laughs> I get it, buddy. Don't tell mommy. Don't mommy. Yeah. <laughs> I love you. Kids have no filters. I love it, right? No. No, they're so Mark, the best. What are we talking about? What are we talking about tonight? Because I'm just so, like, our loyal listeners will know that we had the Don on and talked about air shows and uh competition and, and all kinds of stuff uh kind of in that lane. And uh at the end of that podcast, I made I made a remark that we hadn't I, uh, we didn't mention a single thing about Red Bull Air Races and Mike's Red Bull Air Race career, which was a phenomenal one, <laughs> um, and a and a huge, huge part of Mike's life, and we finally have him back to maybe I don't know, just a, a tidbit or two, you know, give I us hope just, just summarize in thirty words or less what you thought about Red Bull, maybe, and then we'll just move I on. I guess I hope it's more than a tip. <laughs> Bazinga. <laughs> Clearly, you're not drinking yet. You're still pretty coherent there, Jeff. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying. If you drink faster, right. you get you get drunk faster, right? Yeah, that's it. Um, no, I mean, it, it, listen. I'm super happy to talk about Rebel Air Ace, and uh, man, there's so much, so many aspects to talk about. And I like as we've spoken about. I think a lot of what happens as a pilot in the air race, it also can help as 
an aerobatic competitor. And man, if I knew now what I knew then, I'm like, man, I would have yeah. been a hell of a lot better. Right. And, yeah. um, I, you know, I'm not, and I'm like, I'm a realist. I'm not so sure my Red Bull air race career was so great. I had, a, I had some really awesome races and some, and some race wins, which was hard to do in that, in that sport. But I also had lots of stuff that went wrong in years that you're like, what the hell am I doing this for? And, um, yeah, I can tell yeah. you when you're halfway across the world and you just finished ninth or something and like, <laughs> Oh my God, I gotta get out of here. Like I'm in Abu Dhabi and I was just ninth and you can't get on an airplane fast enough to go home. Right. And it yeah. doesn't go fast enough. And so like, that was the coolest thing about that sport is the highs were so high and yet the lows just sucked really bad. And, yeah. uh, cause because Red Bull made everything public, right? So, yeah. like, everybody, Red Bull Air Race would have been the most amazing <laughs> thing if they never publicized it, if there was no <laughs> such thing in the internet. It was just you and your buddies out there racing. But, uh, you know, they they picked winners and losers, and uh, that put a lot of pressure on us as the pilots and, and teams to perform, which was really, which was really great. And, and you know, well, it made it the first true spectator sport in, in, or at least the largest spectator sport in aviation, I would argue. Um, in recent years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, who, how many hundreds of thousands of people have paid attention to another, millions. you know, eight, uh, millions. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. huge, huge spectator sport uh, with regard to aviation. And that's yeah, probably I mean, drama. Yeah. And when we were racing, like we got, emails from kids all over the planet. How do I become a race pilot? Right. And that's a, you don't get that as much with air show stuff yeah. because they saw it on TV and wherever <laughs> it was. And they saw it in when, you know, we raced in Brazil or we raced in Poland and, you know, there's kids that are like, man, I, how do I do that? That looks amazing. Right? Oh, and I want to so go off into like tangents right now. Cause so many like cool aspects of it. Like one of my favorite, like oh, racetracks is that, where should we start? Should we start from the very beginning? Like, how'd you, I think we even tapped into that a little bit from a previous episode. I think you were talking with Kirby or something like that. Yeah. I mean, God, we could go so far back. I mean, really the, the reality of it is I flew in 2004, I think four in Reno it, when it was just a demonstration race. Right. And, and um, that's back when they did all the that. crazy. Yeah, we did it in Reno. The very first time where I raced was in Reno, Kirby, Mike Mangold, Paul Bonham was there. I think Steve Jones, Klaus was there, I remember. And there was a few others as well. I, now that I don't, I don't remember. And actually, Hannes was the race director. How crazy was that? Wow. Um, yeah, Hannes was the race director back then. Peter Besnier would have been there. Uh, Frank Versteg would have been there at that time. And so we we did that, and it was awesome. And then in 2005, what Man, airplane were you flying in Reno? Just I so flew my know. cap. I flew my cap. You flew a cap? Holy yeah, which was a terrible race plane, right? You can't, pull any, you can't <laughs> yeah. pull any G on a cap. Like um, just tumbling around as you came. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then, so in 2005, I think there was maybe, I think there were eight pilots. And then at the That's end of amount, two, though. Yeah. And did you have yeah, no teams though? Like, did you, who was with you? Like, no team. So, well, um, it was just me, right. It was just, we were just learning. It was the beginning. Jeez. Uh, it was just me and my airplane. You know, I had a crew chief because of the air show, but I was there for air shows as well as the race. And yeah, so yeah. actually 
Little known fact, David Martin competed in that race. So he always no like, way. I was a Red Bull Air racer. Yeah, David Flute in that race. Uh, um, cool. Sit back down, Dave. Sit back down. Yeah, see, yeah. Settle down, Mark. <laughs> Settle down. Um, and so then they started in 2005, the, the real race series, sort of its first year. And, and it was Kirby and Mangold. And then at the end of 2005, uh, ice flew in the very last race in San Diego, San Francisco, but just sort of not at just, Hey, Michael, you're the first one to go in the race. I actually shared uh, a 300 with Frank for Stig. Was and that then, that the yellow bird? No, it was the, it was one that was one of Kramer Upchurch's airplanes. Cause they, they rented them for a little bit. Uh, Frank wow. got in the one, but before that, and so, and then, and Nigel came in, so he was the ninth, and then in two thousand and six, they invited me full time for my first year. So I really started in two thousand and six. That's exciting. Um, that must have been a a real pain in the butt for you, as far as like, you know, um, logistics. I just, yeah, because you're, you know, your family, your airshow career. Your, yeah, but you know, it's, it's it's what like, I did, right? It was my yeah. whole life. I didn't. Ha- I don't have another job. I didn't have another yeah. job. Aerobatics, and this is this is how I made my money. So uh, I I jumped at the opportunity. It was yeah. awesome. No, I mean so, like exciting, but like a challenge to try to get this all to work together. Oh, it was stupid. Yeah, yeah. we can talk about that. I mean, uh, for a while, like I had two very distinct teams, right? So there was a race team yeah. and an air show team, and they were completely different people. And the only person that was the same on both teams was me. So, like, I, I remember I flew an air show in, in Atlanta. And on, like, Sunday afternoon, I flew early. Went to – I'm like, see you later, kids. Got on yeah. – went to Atlanta. Got on an airliner. Flew to Europe. The next – land the next morning. And my other team's waiting there with my other airplane. And then I get in the thing. And I'm like, this is a race plane, right? Yeah. Okay. This is an edge, right? Yeah. Okay. Got it. Got it. Not Dude, an extra – an edge. Legendary. And I did that. And I did that for, for a while sort of as a yo-yo. Um, and that that was itself a struggle. Yeah. I like just trying to, uh, trying to do that. But, you know, to go back – Red Bull Air Race gave me everything in my life. And, and Red Bull was such a great company to all of us. And they did so much for the sport. I mean, and the hundreds of millions of dollars that they spent. I don't think that there was anything else insane. they could have done to the Red Bull Air Race to make it better. Like, as far as safety, pres- you know, presentation. It's just like they did Certainly so not from much. a spectator standpoint. Yeah, I mean, they just did a great job. And they they learned and they had the, no you know, expense. the the best people, right? They just had the best people. And, and from the support structure to the air gators, the air gators were animals, right? They had contests to see how fast they could get an air gate up when one was hit, right? They had contests amongst themselves and like, it it was amazing. The whole, the whole thing was just intoxicating, right? Because you live your life with hundred percenters everywhere, Right, the yeah. the camera people, the air gators, the helicopter pilot, the race pilots. Everybody has super geeks doing all their telemetry stuff, and and yeah. everybody in the place was at the top of their field, and it was really it was just a fun thing to be around. You don't find that much in a work life, right? No, yeah. that's well, so I was going to say, like you know, going to a Red Bull Air Race as far as as um, you know a um, an athlete and 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 competing. And then going to, you know, 
maybe not Oshkosh, but like you go to an air show here and it's like, I'm just assuming and speaking, you know, blatantly, but like, I'm just guessing that the, the structure and the setup is not even close to what Red Bull does. Not to say it was bad at all, but like, they're just on another level as far as how to get up. Yeah. I mean, like you really can't compare it. Right. It's just, I don't know. Like the, the budget of a Red Bull air race was probably, I don't know, 10 to $12 million per race, maybe more. And so when you look at, uh, and it's a, let's make no bones about it. The air race was a television show around the world, right? Like the, it it was great that we raced, but the objective was there was a marketing and a media objective, right? And and that had to be met. And so um, it it was very professionally done and, and it was big, but yet in the end, it was all about pilots hanging out with pilots, which is kind of what air shows are about. It's the same thing, right? Like we all speak the same language. It's hard to tell somebody what a snap roll is or an outside snap roll or a rolling circle or a tail slide or, you know, like you just have to do it. I I can explain it to you, but until you (laughs) do it, you just don't know. Right. And, and, uh, and we are all as pilots, the same we just love doing what we're doing and whether it's military guys flying off the back of a boat or uh, us uh flying aerobatics or or racing it's all just sort of trying to get the maximum out of a machine which to me is god it's been my my life's passion right yeah so 2006 you sign on with red bull when did it start getting because it see from what i was i was talking to one of the technicians or what um on uh Nigel's team and he was saying to me like you know it started off as like some friends showing up and racing pretty much and then like and then it got they forgot how competitive aerobatic pilots are and it started getting super competitive the motors started getting crazy the aerodynamic stuff started getting nutty and then they were like hold up <laughs> it went from backyard start. wrestling to the WWE by the time yeah it was so done. you know what I mean I mean it, it, yeah it's funny I you know I wrote a bunch of notes and I have the airplane um portion of my notes last and we're getting into it first but that's oh, okay no. We'll, <laughs> no, no, no no it's no. good so we'll um you're absolutely right so like 2006 uh it, it was everybody would chug a beer at the end and be like hey we're all still alive right like yeah. that literally that's what we said good to each race other. Like, man no, you did yeah, awesome. no, nobody died this week <laughs> this was a good idea um yeah. and then mike Mangold <laughs> showed up and Mangold showed up with wing tips and a cowling and different wheel pans. That's right. Yeah, that's right. He was and the that, guy. Yeah, yeah, and and he had electronic ignition, and that started the arms race. That was it. Like, yeah, thanks. <laughs> thank, thanks a lot, Mangold. And yeah. so, like, hey, he was like that with everything he flew too. That was his whole life, right? Like, he yeah, just. You know, I got, got to love Mike. You got to love him or hate him. And I think most people loved him. And because he yeah. was just what you saw was what you got. Right. And and so it was one of these things where it was amazing where Red Bull wasn't dumb. They gave us enough money where we had <laughs> enough money to compete with everybody else. Right. So like, hey, we're giving you this big pool of money. And oh, by the way, that guy's spending a boat ton of money on his airplane. And unless you spend a boat ton of money on your airplane, you're not going to be competitive. So you go do it. And guess what? You just see what Nigel Lamb just did? That's a story story within itself. 
right? <laughs> that, like that created a story, which is what Red Bull wanted, right? Like now it's an airplane arms race. And oh, we used to uh, love. I used to love waiting to see what came out. Like who was oh, going to do whatever. I still think that you had the most epic. I don't know how it worked or not. And sorry to be so sporadic and ADD with this right now. We're just like super pumped about this podcast and talking about air race, but like the wing cuffs on the leading edge, like talk about like a gamble and like, just like going full, full force, man. <laughs> yeah. And so being like, you know what, let's do it. It was, um, so that was, again, that was pretty <laughs> early. I showed up in 2006 or 2007, maybe, or eight. Now I, they all run together, but yeah, we whatever. put, we put wing cuffs on my airplane just like Cirrus did because Greg Cole, who was part of the design team from of the Cirrus in the very beginning. Um, and, and if you're, if you're a person from Bend, Oregon, I'm sure Jim Burke knows him well. And, and in that world, he's an, he's a God, right? So he was the first person that did all the mods on our airplane. And he's like, Hey, it's all about how much G can we pull to make a tighter circle without losing energy. I mean, that's all there is to it, right? Yeah. So we're like, hey, let's put wing cuffs on. And we pulled them off and the, we pulled off. So we had the airplane under blankets, right? And then comes a fur, we pulled them off. I remember when it was at like Kevin Murray's and yeah. they were 3D scanning it. Correct. And so, crazy. Um, <laughs> and like, man, people went through the roof. That's illegal. He can't do that. Oh, really? Oh yeah, because the wing it was had to be symmetrical, right? Like you could, you were not allowed to change the airfoil shape. So we argued. Oh. So we had to argue, like, no, we didn't change the airfoil shape. It's the same airfoil. It's just an extension. And hey, it's like NASCAR, right? Yeah. Like you're not trying to find the rules. You're trying to find how to work in between the rules. Like, like you didn't say, of- like, yeah, you could. You didn't say we couldn't put the same wing profile on the front of the wing you said we can't change the profile yeah we didn't change the profile we just added uh, we added wing area uh, you know so it was crazy like days and, of thunder with harry if i could tell you, you hold on and give you an extra gallon of gasoline <laughs> we could fill up we could fill up three podcasts with just the modifications i love it oh did. turtle decks tails cowling is insane like people have not a clue are you a mod guy, Mike? Are you like, like what's like? Do you like? Were you constantly thinking of like what else can I can I take away or or put onto this thing? Or so, or um, you know, like this podcast is going to go all over the place. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so quite frankly, I'm like I'm super driven to win, but like I I don't have a super fast brain. It's not my so interesting like we'll go back to how the team works together to make you win. And we had the perfect team in that we all live together, right? Uh, Warren Sillers didn't live with me. He lives in, he lives in Florida, but Pablo and Emily Mankins and Steve Hall, um, our tactician, we all lived in Boston. And so we were all crazy tight and we all could basically finish each other's sentences and Pablo is a racer. So he How would How often be would re- you guys meet like as far as the people in in the Boston area like went every day. race every day together every day every day okay. every, Well they were we all shared the same office cuz they worked in our office. Yeah yeah. So we were all together. And so it was a matter of all of the things that we did 
you know, pa- Pablo was the idea guy. Warren implemented it, and then other people uh, we built stuff for us. And uh, I mean, we the 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 thousands of dollars of carbon fiber pieces that we built that went in the trash could probably buy two Mercedes. Yeah, I was gonna say just <laughs> not, not kidding, not kidding. Yeah. Like we we spent probably thirty or forty thousand dollars on a pair of winglets yep. that never made it to the racetrack. That's yeah. freaking epic. right. Are so they nice? they're in your hangar, hangar. No, we, we threw them away because it's a nightmare. I ne- I'm like, I never want to see these again. We actually threw the molds away about seven months ago. And um, and Kirby Chambliss would say, you know what? It doesn't matter if it works or it doesn't work. You're going to pay for it anyway. <laughs> I love it. That's totally. That's totally Kirby. Right? And, and and every every aerodynamicist just like mechanics thinks every other one is completely an idiot. Oh my God, yeah. that's the worst thing. It doesn't work. And blah, I'm going to build you a cowling and you're going to go 35 seconds faster than everybody else. Okay. <laughs> build that cowling. Oh, well you didn't need to say that the engine needed yeah. to run underneath this cowling at the same time. Right. And, <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, so just so crazy. All oh, it's air cooled. Yeah. Right. Ex- exactly. <laughs> exactly. But, um, you know, so we, yeah, like to go back, we, we, like, we were we were learning everybody was learning and then you know i had some mixed results i i won budapest in 2009 which that was, was in dr- the uh edge right that was green yeah it was in my, it was it was my edge yep it was in the first edge that i had mm-hmm. um and that was fun because i beat kirby Paul and Hannes and then me were the four in the final four. So was that was like, a oh, tough plane good. to win in too, because yeah, that, it wasn't that, the, that plane had been it, modded so many times that it was just dirty. It wasn't the fastest plane. Um, it couldn't pull G. Uh, it was fast in a straight line, but for whatever reason, when you when you leaned on it, it didn't want to maintain energy. But that was so and that, that was, was a race where you started under the bridge too, right? That was under the bridge. That's yeah, so another cool. whole, another whole story. Um, <laughs> so then you know, and then so we had a little bit of results, and then you know we kind of struggled, and then you know we went through different teammates and things, and then um, then we we got our team. It was really Pablo and and Emily and Warren, and then Steve Hall. So we started like people. Nigel Lamb and Paul Bonham were doing, they had strategists way, way, way before. They had them in 2010. Oh, before, my God. Yeah, before so they were the, first. the race even stopped. They were so far ahead of us. We had no idea. Like, they were bringing a gun to a knife fight. I had no idea. Like, where, where did that come from? Videos. So, uh, Paulo Iskold used to work. For, he started with Glenn Dell, and then Glenn left the race, and That's he right. called... He yeah. basically, so Paulo basically begged Paul, like, let me help you. And Paul came, he came to a race. And after the end of the race, Paul's like, you're in. And <laughs> then, and then Nigel Lamb is very good friends with James Allison. And if you're a Formula One guy, you might know that James Allison was the brains behind Ferrari for a long time. No big now deal. James, now James Allison is behind the Mercedes car. Jeez. Okay. So some pretty smart people building programs, but like uh, we, uh, we show up freaking Budweiser. Yeah. Like, we hey had guys. no idea. <laughs> These guys are like so far ahead of us. Um, 
but then they're not even telling you either. They're like, yeah, well, you know, no, we're they, no, 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 no. There were like, there is no <laughs> friends in the air race. Like you're going to learn that you're going to learn it yourself. Right. And, and oh my God. but we knew like, we weren't going to tell anybody anything. Yeah. Um, and so, <laughs> you know, we had a little bit of success here and there, but I was like middle of the pack guy. And then it was like, and then, but we had all the pieces, right. But we weren't winning and we, we struck, you know, and, and, one race were good and one race were bad and one race, the airplane was great. The next race, the airplane was bad. And we were just sort of all up and down. And then Nigel, he retired at the end of 16, maybe, or 17, 16. I think he retired in 16. And he and I are great friends. And he came to Boston for a week or so and Spent some time with me, played golf, we went flying, did spent a couple of weeks on the road. And after he retired, I'm like, Nigel, I want you to help me. Oh, and he wow. said, and he's like, okay. And he said, Can we be can we be frank? And I was like, sure. He goes, Michael, I don't think you can win. And I was like, what do you mean I can't win? And he said, you have built yourself an unbelievable airshow business and an unbelievable family and an unbelievable flight school. And you're too busy. He's like, you, you don't have the bandwidth to do what it takes to win this race. He's like, I'm sorry. You just like, nobody else has a job and you have three and a half or four jobs. Like, how are you going to do that? And, um, for a little while, I was pissed, but Nigel and I are best of friends, right? And I was pissed, and I was like, "What do you mean I can't win?" And, and like, he said, "You're just too busy to win a world championship. You can win a race here and there, but you just don't have enough time." And like, that was kind of the motivation that I needed. And then, so, um, Then we started, we had, we had the pieces and, and we had a, and then Nigel sort of entered the picture as sort of um, our sixth team member. And, uh, but again, from the other side of the world, he was there, but we had a, uh, a sports psychologist, Adam Naylor that worked with me and he works with uh, ho professional hockey players, tennis players, golfers. How'd like you get him? Um, he just came from a friend of a friend and, and like, he was the Northeastern Huskies hockey team. He was there, the coach okay. for that team. And we, we, so we, but we were working together for a year or so. And I, like, I was learning individually how I could try to be better, but it was really Nigel that was like, Hey, like Michael, you, like you're, you're too busy. And, and maybe you're not good enough to do it all on your own, right? You need a team. And so, so what happened was Nigel and Adam started to work together to help our team. So what they did is, wow. so they, so Adam gave us all, and Nigel gave us an exercise that said, tell us what you think each team member's strengths and weaknesses are and write them down and tell us when you think they're having a good day and when they're having a bad day and why and how, right? And so then Adam met with every single one of 
the team members, including me. And we talked about ourselves first, like what makes you tick and how does it work? When are you in a good mood? When you're in a bad mood? And then talk about everybody else. What drives you crazy about Mankins? What makes you hate Pablo? What makes you love Warren? And you talked about that. And, and then about, and then they, so they, he had all of those conversations, which each one of them, which was strictly confidential, right? I, I was going to say that had to be to, tough for them to talk about their to, boss like that. To this, but we, but that's the thing on my team. I was not the boss, right? I was one oh, okay. fifth of that team. Oh, that's cool. And, and so, uh, I never knew what they said. We didn't know what they said about each other. They didn't know what they said about me. And so what he did was he sat each, then they went, Nigel and he went through that and they sort of filtered it all out. And then they all met with each other and with me and they're like, okay, this is how you guys have to work with each other. And then they all sat down without me around and said, okay, the, they used to call me the meat servo, right? The idiot that flew the plane. And they're like, <laughs> they're like, hey, here's how you deal with the stupid Armenian. When he's in a good mood, this is how you do it. Right? When he's in a bad mood, this is how you this is how you fix that. This is how you deal with it. And then because no one on the on the team was allowed to be in a bad mood. Like it just because it was in such a small space in the hangar. If one person was a bitch, it affected the rest of the team. Right. Right. So um we started to work on every little facet of everything. And that was uh it was all super confidential. And then it just started to work. And this and we was preseason, were, right? Yeah, preseason. Where it started. And then, yep. And then we became like a family, right? And and um, we all realized that we were a team. We were a small team. And we all had equal responsibility on that team. Everybody was crazy important. There was just because I flew the plane or Warren worked on the plane or Steve did – all of the data, it didn't matter. Nobody was more important than the other one. And we we all believed that. And we all were like, hey, there are no slouches on this team. And if anybody screws us up, we're just going to like leave you in Japan because we're not <laughs> going to deal with, you know, we're just not going to deal with your shit. And, and we didn't, we just didn't have any drama on our team. We loved each other. We loved what we were doing. We all had a goal. And man, it made things super easy, right? Yeah. And then- um, and then I can remember Emily and Nigel came to me and said, Michael, you're not going to like this, but we're going to buy you a phone. And the only phone numbers that it's going to have on it is your mother, your wife, and your daughter. There's no internet on this phone. There's no nothing. And when we go to a race, you're going to give me all of your electronics and you're cut off from the world. Oh, geez. And I, and I was like, what? They're like, yep, you can't get on the internet. And so it was funny. So Emily, wow. she took control of my life, right? And so like literally we had a we had a, a, a SUV would pick us up at our houses because we all lived near each other. And they would start and then she'd be like, Michael, the, the SUV's go we're going to Abu Dhabi, right? Like the SUV is going to be in your driveway to whatever, Friday morning at 9 a.m be outside with your bags and ready to go. Okay. Get in the truck. And I was like, so what airline are we on? We're on 
Emirates. And where are we going? Well, we're going to go to, uh, we're going to go stop in Zurich. And the, like, I didn't know what airline I was on. I didn't know what time it was. I didn't know where we were going. I didn't know what time we landed. Holy I didn't know what shit. time, like, I didn't know what the rental car, op- like, I didn't need to know that. They're like, you don't need to know. Like, you're on a need to know basis. And that shit is not important to you to win a race flying an airplane. So wow. shut up, keep your mouth, sit down in the chair. And we're going to take you to Abu Dhabi because we're going to go win a race. I'm like, okay. And then yeah. as, as soon we, as we got to we, get Emily on the show now. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> oh God, please don't. And so she was awesome. Right. And then, um, and then we would get to the airport and she'd be like, hand it over, bitch. I'm like, what? <laughs> don't like hand it over. And so um, like a secret one on your ankle, my phone, right. <laughs> my phone, both of my iPads, and my laptop all went to Macon's. She's like, you're cut off. And so um, that had to be really it, difficult. I mean, it's an obvious statement, but like how on a scale of one to 10, how difficult was that without joking? So it was hard until I realized it was what I needed. Yeah. Right. Because like I, everybody's on Twitter, everybody's on Facebook, everybody's on Instagram. Red Bull's writing like, oh, Goulian has a chance to win it all. or God, Goulian sucked in the last race and he's out of the world championship. And oh my God, he blew it up. Like I, they didn't want me to see that. And I yeah. didn't want to see it, right? I didn't want to hear what everybody else was saying. And it was, again, that might not work for everybody, but it worked for me, right? It was yeah, my psychological strategy. torture to yeah, read that yeah, stuff before like, flying, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it just screws with your brain, right? Like I didn't want to, I didn't need that. And, and so they took the load off of me. And then I love this team setup. I mean, I love this. It's just like, this, yeah, it was, it was really awesome. Cool. And then the whole idea was to create a bubble for me. Right. And that, so that I could stay focused. And then the key was to, for me to be steady and relaxed. So literally from the time I stepped in that, that hire car to drive us to the airport until the final flight of the race, I literally worked on controlling my breath and my breathing. How many days was that on average? Like uh, 11, 10, 11, yeah, 10, 11 yeah, 10 to 11. So I controlled wow. my breathing. <laughs> like it's crazy, but how fast I talked, how fast I walked, what I had, how like I, I, I was in a bubble and we're like, we're here to perform. It's going to take 10 days to get to the result. Right. And so like there was, there was no lift or drop in emotion. It was just sort of the same all the time. Would you say that you were the only team at this point taking it to that level as far as structure? I, again, I can't tell you because I don't know what the other guys did. Everybody, I think, oh my God, that's crazy. <laughs> so Matt, I know Matt. Even now, Hall Mike? Had, yeah, like even, even now, now we don't really we don't really talk about it so much. And and Matt Hall had a psychologist that was with him, and I know uh, Juan Velarde did as well. But as far as like their um, team and how they handled their like how Matt Hall was handled or how Velarde was handled, was were they kind of doing their own thing and still kind of keeping up a pulse on on life back home? Or are they like was any other team just completely like i don't know yeah i don't know i would say kirby i know kirby was on the phone to home a lot and 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 again like the team got together and said michael's too involved in everything else and he's he's a busy body so we're gonna like cut him out of that so like unless somebody dies in his family 
they're not going to tell them anything. Right. And yeah. Uh, and it's just the way it was. And so I, I always would get like two books and I would bring with me and I, and, and some magazines. So I would go when we were there from the hotel to the airport, do what I needed to do back to the hotel. Right. And, and then took a shower, sort of settled down. I read a book with earplugs in went to sleep, got back up. And it was like Groundhog Day all the time. Do and you think that this changed your air show business as far as like after that first season of delegating these duties to, you know, Emily and and Pablo and Warren and everything, do you think that it like, obviously you did amazing in the air race, so the proof is in the pudding. So did you change the way you ran your air show I, business? I, because I, of I that? tried, I tried, but again, um, it's like, you know, like they say, being in the zone, right? So our team was in the zone for a, almost an entire season. And to get everybody to, it's so hard, right? It, to try to get everybody on the bus going in the same direction is not so easy, right? right? So yeah, I try and I know it. And my team, my airshow team right now is is uh, quite cohesive, but it's not always perfect, right? And, yeah. and I'm not so sure that would have been perfect in 2019. It was just the magic of 18. Right. Yeah. And you pull out one player and put somebody else in and it changes the dynamic. Right. Yeah. And so like, yeah, so that was, that's how we did it. Right. And like, there was no caffeine. So no Red Bull, no Diet Coke, no coffee, no tea, no alcohol. Right. Again, anything that could screw oh, wow. with my heart rate, none of that, none of that. Uh, I didn't do any of that while we were there. So it was basically like exercise, sleep, eat right. And Red Bull was amazing, right? We had our own food. We had our own catering and everything else. So we would go to a food tent every day and for lunch and dinner at the airport and eat. And it, it was awesome. That's crazy, though. I mean, like, so you didn't have to think about anything but the race. No, I didn't have to think about anything. That's epic. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was, yeah, it was pretty cool. And, the, you know, and then, like, your family. So we all, almost everybody on the team, I think everybody was not everybody was married, but everybody, 95% of us were married with kids and stuff. Right. Yeah. And, and you had families. And so, uh, responsibility. My, and stuff. Yeah. And, but my family, like they were professional air show slash air race people. Right. So in all of 2018, my family came to, I don't know, three out of the eight, four out of the eight races, maybe three or four out of the eight races. Um, and they stayed in a different hotel. Yeah. They would, they wouldn't, they wouldn't cut. And then I yeah, wouldn't that, see them. That is until, at work. Yeah. They wouldn't see me, uh, until the end of the day. And it was really weird. Like it, we won the race in Indianapolis in 2018 and, um, it started a off great really, win. To yeah. Win it was, there. It was, it was, like, it was, it was a, a dream come yeah, true. It totally was a dream. And, um, but it was, it started out as turmoil. Somebody said we were cheating because our exhaust got bent. Like it didn't happen on purpose. And then they made us change our exhaust and we were pissed because like it, 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 it it's the same exhaust as everybody else. It was that else. cutthroat, huh? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. God. It was super. And so. I wish um, they would have talked about this more on the show, like the, the Red Bull Aries show when like the scandals or whatever you want to yeah, call it. Yeah, I don't like I don't even know if they really knew sometimes or I'm not sure. And so yeah. we were all we were all pissed off and and then on race morning 
that there, I, I remember they're like, Hey, Michael, can you do like a six 30 interview with ABC news in, in Indianapolis? I'm like, really, you need me to do this at six 30 in the morning. Yeah. And I'm like, can I just like, it's race day. Everybody else shows up at 10 and I have to be there at six 30. And I was like, ah, oh, shit. All right, fine. I'll do it. I show up at six 30 in the morning, do this interview with them. Then I think, and, and Emily and I did it, like Pablo and Warren weren't there. And then we went out to breakfast, came back, did the thing and sp- did the entire race. And then when we won, I'm standing up on the podium and they're playing the national anthem. And I look down and I see my wife and my daughter and a few oh, of my really close friends. And I started crying because I forgot that they were there. Oh my God. Like, I had wow. gone you know, whatever 14 hours or 12 hours without thinking about my family. I forgot where they were. So like when you talk about being in a bubble um, and that didn't happen at any other time, except for that race. Right. And so, yeah, um, it, it, it was pretty amazing how uh, I want, I want to get back to like that as far as like, so your preseason training, team training, flying, everything like that. Um, what was the, so you didn't know if this whole psychology, you know, psychology aspect, sports psychology was going to actually work or how much it would work or maybe even hurt. What would you, what was the trying to get at? Like, did you notice it after the first race or was it a gradual progression to being like, okay, this is the right way. We got to take our team. We got to do more of this, this structured, you know, psychological. So I didn't even like, I thought the psychologist was for me. Right. Like Michael, yeah. help you deal with pressure, help you deal with stress. And then it wasn't really until Nigel came along and he's like, Hey, you guys all need help to work with each other. That it, that it really started to sink because then the psychologist, yeah. like he was managing the emotions on our team, not just with me. And right. And it's, it's never, it's not just like, there's no magic bullet, like, Hey, just do it like that and you win. It's not, it's like, yeah. it's an evolving, thing you have to learn how you know you're gonna be nervous you you just are right but after the first race where you're like okay this is working or i can see the value yes so uh, no it didn't because we won our first race in 2018 we like dominated all right oh that's right yeah it just came out of the gate and like and it was easy almost right like it just happened and you could see like our race hanger, like if you could take the temperature, it was cool in the hanger, right? Everybody had their job, music was playing, everybody, like there wasn't a lot of communication. We all knew what we had to do. Wow. And you could just tell, like, hey, it was, it was great. There was no, there was no uh, paralysis by analysis going on in our head, yeah. right? <laughs> and, um, and, and I think there was with a lot of other teams. Yeah. Wow. In fact, I know there was with a lot of others. Right? Do you get the feel? Did you ever have the feeling? Because I've had the feeling sometimes before going on a flight, not to compare myself to a Red Bull Airways pilot here, but like, you know, when you strap in where it's like, you almost like, this is going to be an epic flight. Like this, it's, it's just a, like once in a while you just strap in, you're like, you know what? Like I just. That gut feeling. This is going to just, I, everything's just coming together as far as like your morning, your lead up, get, and it's just like, it's it's a culmination of everything that. Did that happen that day where you where you sat in um, that cockpit and you were like, okay, this is my weekend? No. So it, interesting. Um, the way that we 
because Adam was a golf uh, a psychologist for golfers and I was a golfer, right? We got everything had a golf analogy. So <laughs> we, so we just sat down in the beginning of the year and said, listen, what's the goal? The goal is to win the world championship. Yeah, that's great. It's, you know, Tiger wins want Tiger Woods wants to win every tournament he enters, but he's not going to. Uh, so like, you'd like to win every race you're going to enter, but you're not going to. So like, how does this work? So we worked it out with Nigel, like his strategy was if he was in the final four, like 90% of the races, you'd be the world champion. So our, our, and if you look at an interview and it's funny that I see it now, when I <laughs> won in Abu Dhabi, they're like, what do you, how do you feel? And I, and I can remember saying, it's amazing that we won and that's awesome, but the goal isn't to win. The goal is to be in the four, be in the four, be in the four, be in the four. So like that was, I kind of told everybody our strategy by accident oh, shit. <laughs> in race, in race number one. Right. So like, Hey, all you have to do is be in the finals and yeah. let the chips fall. Right. So we looked at it and we said, Hey, we're going to make a, our goal is to, is to make a bunch of pars. And along the way, if we're going to get lucky, we might make a birdie or two. Yeah. And we're probably going to make a bogey. Hopefully, we don't make a double bogey, right? Yeah. Like, you, like th there is going to be a race where you're going to suck. And hopefully, there'll be a race or so that you're great. And we looked at that. And when I look back at 2018, we did that. We were in the, we were in the, in the final four, like, I don't know, almost every flight. I think... Out of the eight races, we were in the final six times, right? So we were almost the. And we can talk about the the two times that I wasn't. It was it um it was interesting, but so we 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 just said, hey, all we need to do is be there. So it was just being consistent, right? And and. So when I look, when you think back about, and the, again, this is a psychology thing too, is if you say, if you ask any of the air race pilots, who's the most consistent, they would say Matt Hall and Martin, right? At least on race day, Martin was kind of all over the place on qualifying. Matt, less, less crazy in qualifying, but both of them, you know, if you were going to fly against them, you couldn't make an error or you were definitely not going to win and you had to fly your best. Yeah error-free to beat those guys. Everybody else were like, ah. But what we did is in Abu, like in Abu Dhabi, we just nailed it right out of the gate, right? Yeah. Like we just, we just, we, we had a simulator. We were well-prepared and talk about all that. Like I, I went to, so all of my sort of preparation was done back in Boston before I ever left. So we went to Abu Dhabi and we hit the ground running and we were consistent. And then we went to the second race, which I think was, japan probably and we almost won like i won qualifying in japan and then all of a sudden then i think well, i won i actually won qualifying in um in france as well so what happened then what ends up happening is people they see your consistency yeah. and now that if they come up against you they're like oh guess what I have to fly really good to beat this guy. I got to fly so hard. They put the pressure. I got to fly hard, right? Which is exactly what we want. It wasn't like I yeah, was. Yeah, because so then they're going to make a mistake. They're making their own mistakes, right? And um, yeah. 
And so we, we're like, so when you say, when I got into the airplane, we, we had a goal and all we did was we set a time and we're like, let's try to, let's go achieve a 108 and see how we do that. Okay. We did that. Let's just try to go 107.5. Okay. That, we can do that. Let's go 107.2. And we did that. So we never, we never did. We never cared about anybody else. We didn't want Pablo was watching everybody else. I wasn't again. They didn't, I didn't need to know. I like, yeah. honestly, like I didn't know during a, I never looked at the results. I didn't know who was ahead of me or who like, they're like, Hey, in qualifying, like, where were we? We were fifth and we're going to fly tomorrow against, you know, Nicholas. Okay, great. I don't know who was first. I didn't know who was last. They didn't tell me. I was flying my race, not somebody else's race. Smart way to do it. It's way to psych yourself out. Yeah. And, and, you know, when to relate it to competition flying, like if I was (laughs) flying unlimited, the last thing I'd want to do is go watch Rob Holland. Right. Like I don't get why people watch people in their category. So I used, so I would watch people in my category I would watch the people at the bottom of the category because I figured for wind, right? Yeah. The people that are really good are going to make the wind disappear. The yeah. people that are weak <laughs> won't make it. So exactly. all I did is I picked the, the worst that I thought, ah, oh, they're going to struggle in the wind because all I really cared about was the wind, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and so that was kind of how we – so I like in competition, that's all we do is I just – like, okay, I don't care in an unknown which way they turned or whatever. Like, I have my plan from last night. I'm not going to change my plan. Even yeah. if it's wrong, I'll, I'll like, I'll figure that out after I screw up. But yeah, like, I'm not going to, I'm not going <laughs> to change 20 minutes before I fly because Joe Jones just did a three. I know they do. I don't get um, it. It's like, what are yeah. you doing? <laughs> yeah. So, like, and it, it was funny to watch that. We were on a roll and then we got to Budapest and, you know, we, it was, it was Yoshi. I mean, it was uh, Michael and Matt and Martin in the top three the whole year. And then in Budapest, I like, I don't know, I was overconfident or whatever. I screwed the pooch and I over G'd twice in qualifying. I hated that over G because like, you know what the wing is capable of. And to me, yeah, like, I, I know it was just such like a bullshit it was thing. Part of the game. So like I, so I was last in qualifying and Yoshi yeah. won. And I, and we're like, and I was like, eh, whatever. And I can whatever. remember, I went back to the hangar and I could remember because Yoshi's hangar was next to mine. And the media is like, what do you think about your matchup tomorrow? Because Michael's last and you're first. And he's like, oh, it's going to be a hard race against Michael because he's really consistent and he won't make that mistake again. So I have to be really good. And I kind of chuckled to myself. I'm like, how oh, we're going to win tomorrow. Right. Yeah. And so like, I just had that feeling that, you know, again, we put pressure on people yeah. and I, and I won that first race in, um, in Budapest against Yoshi. And then again, ended up getting into the finals and hit a pylon and was fourth in the, in the final, but it was interesting. So like, when you were really good, you are you you made the other people worse only because you put pressure on them, and that was yeah. something that I did. I didn't understand that until I created that. Because up until that point, I was always the one that was nervous. You were like, attacking oh, go, it, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go fly against Paul. Shit, I'm going to have to kill it, right? And yeah, that's that's the worst thing to do. No, it's like competition, like uh, the order of flight. Like you don't want to fly after freaking like some epic, epic guy or girl. That just yeah. that has been crushing it, you know, because you have to fly just as good, if not better, to score higher. 
Yep. You and, know? and, you know, in that, when we were, we were in our bubble the whole time and, uh, well, people don't know, and we can talk about it later is that we, we had a, a water cooling system in the airplane and that's how we cooled the engine and we had perfected it, but there was a way that there was a, there was a, a steel piece, a fitting that was getting corroded. And oh, wow. somehow there was there was flakes of rust finding its way into the breather system because we we plumbed the breather from the smoke and the fuel and the water all together. And somehow now Same I can't way. remember exactly it went into um we were getting some some clogged fuel injectors. So oh, it made its way all the way back to the fuel pump. Yeah, all the way to the fuel pump. So in Austria, I was flying against Nicholas and I was like, I don't know what is wrong with this plane, but it feels like it's running on three cylinders. And it was. And Holy so it was shit. so distracting. Um, I made a I made an error and we were 12th or 11th or something in that race. I can't remember. Then Indianapolis came, and for whatever reason, we didn't have it. It was perfect. We won the race. We were winning going into the into the last race. And then I'm in the hold on race day and I put the power up and I'm like, <laughs> oh shit, it happened there's again. There. Like there's no, like <laughs> no. the airplane, it shook so bad. So, um, and I'm like, well, it's not going to quit, but like, it's horrible. Like one cylinder's dead and the others are, you know, one's lean, the rest are rich. And it's Were you allowed disaster. to call it mechanical? Did they allow that? No. Like yeah. You, yeah. You could call it mechanical and say, thank you very much. I'm going home. So I just, so they're like 99, you cleared into the track. So I'm like, Jimmy, I, I'll be right back. I'm going to make one, three, six. So like, okay. So all <laughs> I could do was put the mixture rich and deal with it. Jeez. And I mean, it was horrible. Um, but again, I, I flew so slow and so bad. And the thing, like every time I shook. And nobody oh knows God. until now. Nobody knows until now. And well, my team knows. <laughs> yeah. um, and that we had, a, it was just super clogged. It was running on, I don't know, four or five cylinders. It was just horrendous. And then, but I flew against somebody who, again, like I'm like, all they have to do is go on one mag at 25 squared and they'll still win. And yet <laughs> they succumb to the pressure and they lost. And I got into the next round and no Warren, yeah. And Warren cleaned out the fuel injector and, but yet my time was so slow and Martin's was fast that I flew against Martin and Pablo and I said to each other, we have to do like, this has to be a great race. Yeah. And that was the only time all year that we got outside of the bubble. Cause that's the last thing you should say. Yeah. Like, Hey, Michael, the airplane's running great. Go do your best and let's see where it falls. You've got a five point lead. So what, what did I do? I went out there and I flew hard and I frigged it up. Right. Wasn't sunk. Did he get caught like advancing the timing or something like that? I'm not going to go into that, but all <laughs> kinds of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So like, so that's the, that was the funny thing. The sand in the cookie jar, I think. Yeah. So I, like I went back to an Adam, Adam, Mar the sports psychologist. He's like, you dumbass. What have we been talking about all year? And on the most important race of the year, you're like, I have to try harder. 
He's like, you stupid idiot. And, oh, and, pa- and Pablo and I are like, yeah, we kind of blew the world championship on that one, didn't we? And, and but it, it came down to that, right? And, and again, and it doesn't matter. Like we knew we were professionally trained, so on and yeah. so forth. And we were so close to a world championship and we, we, we bit the bite of the forbidden apple, right? Like you dummy. Yeah. Um, but it's like throwing like a hill, not a hill Mary or going for it on fourth and goal. You know, so it's just like you, you know, everybody loves the, uh, the fourth and goal that turns out good. But then like those same people, if it doesn't work out, they're like, Oh, you idiot. What are you yeah, doing? You know? Exactly. So yeah. it's like Monday morning quarterback, oh, oh. but um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, that's it, freaking epic, man. How did so everybody keep their secrets to themselves? Like when you did the water injection, um, how long did it take for people to catch on that you were doing that? Or did a they long, even know? a long, a long time actually. Um, and we, so we, do we've been, got back we were like, working on it. We were working on it for a year. And then, and like Pablo did all the testing on it in California. It's like, it's not working. And it, like, we spent all this time and all this money. The plane's been in California. It's like, it's not working. Like, this just doesn't work. And then we kept playing with it and kept playing with it. And it was because extreme airflow. Front of, through yeah. It was just, just like, wasn't... like it was extremely sensitive to the position of the nozzles. And once wow. you got them right, it was magic. Right. And I'm not going to go into all of it, but like we, we perfected it. Right. And how much water uh, would, would like for a minute long race, how much water would, would spray? Like oh god i don't know quite a bit no 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 we had a uh and again i forget probably a two gallon tank um oh, wow. so but like dumping water but yeah but we monitored everything like our intake temperature yeah. uh like all all kinds of stuff and so we ran the water we were so secretive of it like we put it in suitcases <laughs> and brought it to the airport and and you know oh, and my it god. was that's pretty cool and it was James all the way, stuff, dude. Yeah. And, and, you know, and then we put the water tank in the same delivery system as the smoke tank and we had the same hoses. So people would just think we were putting smoke oil in the plane, not water. Right. We'd put the water in one you tank. La- you, put this- you definitely labeled it as smoke too. Yeah. The whole right? thing. Right. And like, and, then, <laughs> and, and we did that. Oh, this probably, stuff is so oily, right? Yeah. Right. right it's Pablo? terrible. It's we, so we, prob- <laughs> we probably did that. <laughs> I know we did it until until budapest i fell over again yeah and then we had like five or six gallons of water in the back of the car and i think jason resop from kirby's team looked in the back and like what the hell's up with all of the water and then that was the end of it right then then but then i think ah again but so then they all they're like okay so gulian's running really good and he has water but like we were so far ahead yeah, like they, they can't like, figure out the novel like, yet. Like we're like, hey guys, yeah, we have water, and we're squirting it on the cylinders. Good luck with that. Bottle. Good luck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good luck. Like keep going. Like we we put hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of testing on the thing. I remember yeah. Kirby. Kirby was like on the run up <laughs> area, right? And he's got his water on, and it's just gushing gallons of water out of the bottom of the camera. <laughs> And, and uh, it was really funny. Everybody that's tried fun. it. It was it was great, and that was kind of the fun. Because that was the big thing was cooling, right? Everybody that seemed to be the main focus towards the end was cooling. Yeah, everybody's having I, cooling uh, issues. Uh, uh, well, that and cowling everybody got, everybody got smart with cowlings, right? Like yeah. intakes, yeah. intakes, and the way the intakes worked, and you know, you're trying to get a rise in manifold pressure and all of this other stuff, and then 
you know, you, we had variable inlet sizes. So depending upon the temperature is how, how large the inlet to the cowling was. And then we had two, we had two exhausts, you know, two bottoms of the cowling. So we, we, if it was hot, we'd have to have a little bit more opening. If it was cool, we'd have a little bit less opening. But then the other thing that we did is, um, we figured out how to, because we all ran two oil coolers, but we created a system where for the, for one run or two runs, we shut off all of the cooling air to the oil coolers. So there was no, there was no oil cooling happening at all. So holy shit. Yeah. Well, like it was a, it was a pretty ingenious system that took again, two years to, to sort of perfect, but there was no, there was no cooling drag at all. And, and the oil, we found the oil temp, like it would, it would scare you if you were flying my plane. Um, Cause it would sit at about 195. But then as soon as you did the magic to That's make all the cooling drag go away, it would climb 96, 97, 98, 99, 200, 205, 210. But it would keep settle. Going. It would settle at like 235. <laughs> for for like, that like 30 seconds a cu- right a cup no i would say like for a minute or so it would it would it would crank to like 230 235 and then it would just sit there for a minute or so before it would go blasting up to you know 250 or whatever which yeah it you know we wouldn't we did oil changes like every second or third day what um, type of oil were you running just just well whatever they could provide us right it was uh total in a lot of the countries or or w100 most of the places i, yeah, I didn't was know what weight you were running if you're running like uh, lightweight oil no like just a, heavy heavy oil bit. like you just 50 weight 100 w100 right same as everybody oh, else um yeah. so we just figured out and then and then between runs we would we would like get the airflow back going over the coolers and all of that stuff and cool the oil back down to like 220 and then for the second and the whole thing and and then get it. It was really, but the but when we had the airplane completely tuned and and going, uh, like it was the greatest feeling. That airplane, no, I, I am not lying. I have pictures to show you at sea level in race mode, at full power race mode, leaned out the whole thing. It would indicate 244 knots. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> it was it was faster than a king air <laughs> like it was insane Are you kidding me no that i'm not indicated. lying i'm not insane. lying indicated indicated how fast that plane was going you could almost bust the 250 knot speed or yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> level in a single engine piston i used to give a presentation on on the air race and i can remember like Jesus. Here's 2015, and it would indicate like 216. Here's 2017, and it would indicate like 229. And then, oh like the last one, it was so fast, it was stupid. And that's and, awesome. And like we had oh all kinds God. of stuff. I mean, this is and that's not, what like, the, that was with the detuned motor too, right? That was with the motor. That yeah, it's a ten to one. That. It was a ten to one compression engine. But right? yeah, you could have just you yeah. could have bumped it up dirt twelve thirteen to one and 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 done but some we never did. But shit. you know, but I'm just saying to get above two fifty. Yeah, but it was a ten to one engine, and you yeah. know, this is not this is not 
secrets to anybody anymore, but like most of us were running like a, an automatic mixture control and things like that. Right. So yeah. like we, they, they watch So all of the cylinders, all the EGTs and CHTs were in like, within like, I don't know, the CHTs were like within five days. <laughs> and it's then amazing. all the EGTs <laughs> were probably like within, t- and we were futzing with nozzles and like, it was amazing. The amount of like that airplane was a high maintenance, <laughs> model, right? Like it, cause it just took all that stuff. And then. So I hate to the, say it, but like going back to your SC, just really quick. Like you fly that thing and the thing is just a monster and an animal. And then like, it just makes the SC feel like, oh, it's just a normal aerobatic plane. Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like yeah, in a way, I mean, like they're to- two totally different race machines. Right. But like, yeah. it was amazing. So we, and again, I, I didn't, I didn't do any of this stuff, but Jeez. Pablo and Pablo and Warren, you know, like, so the airplane during a race, it would download about 175 loans of lines of code five times a second so we we oh recorded yeah we re, well like you had to because the airplanes were so fast and they so we were getting all of the aerodynamic stuff that you would think of right like indicated speed true speed g pitch angle pitch rate uh, like everything under the sun roll rate roll angle angle of attack rate, side side slip all these things but then also the same thing on the engine side as well so we would look at how the engine was performing and always trying to make it perfect. And then we had an air fuel ratio sensor, right? So that was the big number on the instrument panel on the Garmin. So Warren would be like, Hey, Michael. Um, so I would just pull the mixture to a detent. That's it. There was no twisting the mixture, or any of that. Crap. I was going to ask you about that. Like, what'd you go yeah. off of a digital? So gauge, we, blah, so blah, we blah, yeah. Blah. So we just pulled, I just used to pull it to a detent and Warren would be like, Hey, the number should be 13.6. And if it was 13.7, I'd take a little tweak of the knob or it was, you know, the other way I'd, I'd rich in it a little bit. But like, that's all that I had to do was like pull the mixture to that spot. And then if yeah. that number is what I tell you, and we would write it on the panel, right? We'd have a, we'd have a label maker. So it would be right next to the gauge. So I didn't forget. Yeah. And then, and man, when the thing was in full setup, sigma, like it, it was the great, like, I can't explain to you the greatest feeling because this thing, it felt like the engine wanted to rip itself off the front of the airframe. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it was the greatest feeling of the whole world. It's like, I mean, it's, it's, so raw than that. it's so, it's so cliche, but like, you, you know, to feel a horse, like a, a, like a racehorse in the starting gate, he wants to crank. Just Holy shit. It yeah. was like, it was just all in the mail so hard. And it was like, but you know when you turn your R because we were limited to 2950, right? So we would we would set it at 2940. Oh, right. And you know, when it's wound that tight, like it just the harmonics are such that it's super cool. It feels more like a turbine than it does a piston engine. And it, it just pulled so hard. And like, man, it was the greatest feeling. The whole thing was just holy like, crap. It was That's such amazing. a machine. And then, like, and then we would come back and they would download the data. And Pablo would be like, I needed to go 0.1 gallon less than now. Right. So like, okay. And then, and then we would take a temp, we would take like, 
we would download the temperature and the density altitude and all of that stuff. And we would be tweaking the engine based on the temperature and the DA and all of that. And then, and obviously the intake temperature and all of that other stuff went into how we worked the fuel. And then on race day, on the time of the day, we predicted what the temperature would be. So based on all of the data that we had from that engine for that week is how we set the engine up on race day. Like, hey, in the final four, if we make it to the final four, it's going to be, you know, 26 degrees outside. So we need it at this setting. And like, so again, when I say it was a team effort, like it was a team, like everybody was at like literally 0.1 and 0.2 gallons that we were, we were trying to do just that. And, and so, um, do you remember offhand what weight you guys were limited to as uh, for the airplane? Cause I remember uh, they said that you, I forget. Yeah. Sorry. I, I, I don't, I don't exactly was. remember, but like my airplane was the heaviest, right? Cause I have a two seat wing. So my airplane. Oh, I didn't was, know you had a, a T wing. That's yes. a T wing, huh? Yes. So that's a, that was Kirby's airplane. And, <laughs> and so that's what was so great about that airplane is it turned like, and you couldn't tell the only, it's just, it's a little deeper at the root in the cord line at the root than the other ones, not longer. It's the same ALR. It's everything. So that was sort of the magic of that plane uh, was yeah. that we had the two seat wing on it, which makes it also an awesome aerobatic airplane. Cause it can fly off the top of nothing and just. Oh, hell yeah. Go. Yeah. Um, so we were always, and then obviously with the water, it gained, it added some weight. Um, but we were always like, Oh man. And I was on the stupidest diet ever. I weighed like 153 pounds. Like we couldn't even get no the seatbelts tight. Yeah. We couldn't get the seatbelts tight enough. And, and Mankins was like, you look like you're like malnourished, like eat yeah. something. <laughs> and um, it was like, yeah. Yeah. But you were like, carbs. you were fit. You were fit though. Right. Like you were. Yeah. I mean, we were fit. Like I was just like, my diet was stupid controlled. Like I would be in in, I can remember I'm in Budapest and I would take a picture of the food, the food buffet and text it to my dietitian who lived in California, who was up and he would text right back and he'd be like the eggs, one scoop of the white rice from a teaspoon. And, you know, have those, (laughs) have those carrots and one thing of the sausage. Like, okay. And that like, that's kind of how we did it. To stay Who ate the, the most on the Aries? Who was like the biggest eater on the Aries? Oh God, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe Kirby. Yeah, he's a big dude. All right, everyone. That's all you get for part one of this two-part series with Michael Goulian, the Don, the best. Uh, it was so much fun having him on. This was a great two-part series here on the Red Bull Aries and much more. We'll continue next week with part two. Thank you to Lift Aviation for supporting the podcast, supporting aviation, and supporting aerobatics. Head over to www.liftaviationusa.com. Use the promo code FLYCOOLSHIT at checkout for 25% off your order. Talk to you guys next week. Thank you for listening to another episode of Fly Cool Shit. Be sure to check out our website at www.flycoolshit.com. Subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes and Spotify. Any questions, comments, or feedback, shoot us an email at flycoolshit at gmail.com. 